You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, or you can check us out in audio format wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Welcome to Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. We're glad to have you back with us this week as we continue on in our series on Ecclesiastes. So, yes. Yes. so it's uh, hopefully it's more than meaningless to the yeah, people. Yeah, I was going to say, although the, the book is all about meaninglessness, hopefully this is meaningful <laughs> to you. Um, so uh, just to let people know, if this is your first time visiting with us, we're in the middle of a series on Ecclesiastes. So if you want to find uh, the first set of uh, episodes, you can find those on our YouTube and Facebook uh, pages, or you can go to our uh, podcast, uh, wherever you find your podcast. Uh, just search for Coffee and Clergy. Um, we do we do this uh, every Wednesday at 10 o'clock, and so we uh, would like to invite you, if you're listening uh, after the fact, to join us live as well. Um, we are continuing today on Ecclesiastes chapter three sixteen, uh, where we left off last time talking about the nature of time, and so today we're going to get into some some more vanities, some more things which the the um, author or the not the author but the uh, teacher uh, has to to say to us today. So yeah. perhaps we should begin by a prayer, and then we can hop into our reading. For Absolutely. Today. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this new day that you've given us and pray that you would uh, use in this day uh, your Holy Spirit to enliven us and to send us out to do the things you've given us to do. Uh, I pray that you would uh, bless us in our reading today of your word, that uh, by the example of the teacher and by the example of your Holy Spirit in our lives, we might uh, be brought to a greater understanding of your will for our lives. Uh, today, as we talk about a few different topics, uh, we pray that you would help them to be uh, things which are uh, spiritual, but also very practical and applicable to our lives, so that we might put them into practice. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we're in the second half of chapter three, and then we'll look at all of chapter four. Okay. And um, any kind of introduction uh it's the words of the teacher sure so we i think it's always important we go back since it's been a week since we listened to it well we talked about it you might be going through the you know after the fact and listening to the one after and the next and if so this is probably boring to you but uh regarding hevel which is this word for smoke that the teacher uses um he uses common phrases over saying everything is hevel meaning anything he seeks to grasp a hold of or find meaning and purpose in it ends up leaving like smoke out of his hands if he's, as he tries to grasp it. Um, he has this phrase, uh, nothing under the sun, uh, or... Everything uh, is meaningless yeah. under the sun. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the toil of our labor, the, the joys of our hearts, the, the sorrows of our, of our you know, 
deepest, darkest days. None of it's lasting, significant. Even foolishness and wisdom. Even foolishness and wisdom themselves. Yeah, so uh, you get this progression the teacher goes through. He takes a break in Chapter 3 to bring up a completely uh, new approach to this idea in talking about time and how everything has a season, everything has its purpose under heaven. And in contrast to his previous discussions, it seems like you almost see a glimmer of hope shine through that, hey, maybe in, you know, coping with our our human reckoning of time, things will be not hevel. They'll have some lasting purpose and meaning. But then he kind of shuts that down to some degree, too, and says, eh, you know, you think that, but not really. Yeah, but God has placed a foundation there mm-hmm. uh, that upholds and sustains the world, he says and that. and that that foundation gives us at least some kind of peace, mm-hmm. um, knowing that God is in control. Um, but he, he brings us uh, to a new topic of, um, of injustice, as we start in this uh, third chapter, verse sixteen, and we're gonna we're gonna read verses sixteen through the end of the chapter. Uh, we'll have some questions, and then we'll read through chapter four as well. So uh, I'll go ahead and read through uh, the rest of chapter three, beginning with verse sixteen. He said, "And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there." I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that they may see that they are like animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises up, and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? And... uh, and so he begins by talking about, you know, in this fallen world that we have experiences both of injustice and wickedness uh, at the hands of other people. And so, um, but then he goes on in verse 17 to give us um, uh, a little more reality or a little more uh, tolerability um, in the midst of injustice and wickedness. And and uh, what does, what little bit of hope does he give us there in verse 17? You get the the impression that justice and judgment should be things which should be part of the natural order of life. Okay. Um, once again, the teacher kind of utilizes the conventional wisdom of like the Proverbs, that if you do the right things, if you're righteous, if you're good, then good things will happen. It's sort of the ingrained expectation, I think, of all God-fearing people that if they do you know, if they live life the way life's supposed to be lived, then life should be good. But it just doesn't always pan out that way. Yeah. But in verse 17, uh, the teacher kind of acknowledges, he, he says he thinks in his heart, which shows us right away that this is not just some discourse where he's uh, talking philosophically, but he's actually t- digesting this inwardly and really trying to wrestle with these questions um, for wisdom's sake as much as for anything. But that God will bring to to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. 
Okay. Um, you get this impression that in the end, whether we are wicked or righteous, we'll all be made low evenly before Almighty God. At the, it's sort of the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. So you get this discussion. It's not just the the people who worship Jesus who bow down to him. In the end, it's everyone is made low. Everyone yeah. is brought down. And I think Christ. I think everybody longs for some kind of justice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think of uh, even as a kid, you know, watching TV shows, I wanted the, the good guy to win and the bad guy to, um, you know, to get his right punishment. Yeah. And, um, and so the teacher tells us that, you know, that God will bring this judgment both for the righteous and the wicked. Um, uh, that could be a long discussion recognizing that we're all unrighteous yeah. and, um, and yet God provides a way, um, uh, to pay for our sin for those who have faith in him. Mm-hmm. And, um, it reminds me of this, this last weekend, one of our readings was vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and he will repay. And it's like, on the one hand, uh, the, the command there for us is to not seek after vengeance, but to forgive and to heap coals upon the head of those who, you know, har- seek to harm us and hurt us. But in reality, what we're doing is we're just setting our enemies up for utter destruction <laughs> and, and we, you know, to allow them to, to have God's wrath perpetrated against them is one of the worst fates that can befall our enemies. Yeah. Um, on one hand, that gives us peace in knowing that um, anything that's been put against us by oppressors will be repaid in due time, in God's time. Yeah. But on the other hand, it uh, shows us the need for um, for ur- a sense of urgency by us to try and transform and call others to repentance so that they don't have to face that. Yeah. And I I like the concept of, you know, even our enemies, we place them in God's hands. And if they continue to strive and fight against God, uh, they they bring upon themselves destruction. Mm -hmm. Um, But if they recognize God's presence and that God is a loving and forgiving God, uh, if they confess their sins, um, God says that they'll be forgiven. And and that's what we want of all people. Yeah. And... And so there's, uh, it's, I, I guess I think it's comforting to know that in the end there will be righteousness and judgment that God brings about for all people, and, um, you know, we um, sometimes we we get the wrong idea that we're that we're righteous on our own, and um, that can either lead to pride or we recognize that we're not completely perfect, and that can lead to. Um, um, Dismay, uh, dis- despair, and and um, you know giving up. But God reminds us that He has actually paid for the sins, uh, the sins that we've committed, and through that works out righteousness and ju- judgment for the world, um, in His all wise plan. Mm. Yeah, and so, uh, but there are other passages that that talk about. Um, uh, the wicked and the unjust will one day experience God's ultimate justice. Are there other passages that, that you think of that come to your mind about God's justice? Uh, the the sheep and the lambs or okay. the threshing floor. Uh, okay. You get these impression that that Jesus is the one who's kind of the great layer low of people. And everything will be brought to light, every single thing, yeah. throughout our whole lives and the lives of everyone. 
and uh, that's where the mercy of Christ will be what has to prevail because all of us will have our dirty underwear aired out for all to see. Yeah. And um, that's Christ's mercy and grace is the only thing that delivers us on that day. Yeah. And a- another passage I thought of was from First Peter chapter 2 where it talks about that Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Um, and so we, we trust in God's ultimate judgment uh, at the end of time. Um, and so looking at, at verses uh, 19 to 22 here, it also reminds us that human beings are like uh, the beasts, like animals. And um, why is that? What's the comparison between us and animals? You get a hearkening back to Genesis, for dust you are and to dust you shall return. Yeah. Uh, you, get, you get this image in your mind of that initial rejection of the Garden of Eden and the punishment from sin uh, that was a part that was pronounced to Adam and Eve. Okay, and that punishment due to sin was not just for humanity; it corrupted the whole creation. Yeah, affected uh, all, and of not it. just animals. It corrupted the way that the waters act. I mean, you want to talk about damage from the waters? Look at Hurricane Ida and the damage that's you know due to that. And you think about uh, you know all kinds of natural disasters and all kinds of violent things happening in our in our universe at large and um that's all a product of on the one hand sin that was brought that corrupted god's creation but you see the fact that we're still able to have some sense of order in this universe is is a product of god's oversight and his his mighty hand to defend us and protect us so we're, we're like beasts in that we came from the dust, and to dust we will return. We're like beasts because all of us will die, just like animals die. And yeah. and um, um, oftentimes people are are forgotten. And so again, the teacher says this is all um, this is all meaningless. Uh, mm-hmm. Trying to grasp, uh, trying to grasp that that image of smoke. Yeah. And um, so while we are like beasts of the earth, uh, uh, made out of dust, uh, like animals, we will all die. But then how are we as human beings different from animals? This is the the image of God discussion where okay. we we as human beings are created differently in the image of God. Um, now, what exactly that means, we aren't 100% sure. Uh, I think it means several things. I think, it number one, it means that there's an eternal aspect to us. If you go back just one chapter at the end of uh, Ecclesiastes, or the middle of Ecclesiastes 3, um, in verse uh, 11, it says he's made everything beautiful at its time, and he's also set eternity in the hearts of men. Mm-hmm. Uh, this idea that there's something that lasts forever within us, that spirit which will never end, uh, is is something that is similar to God that's not in, at least the scripture never says that's in animals too. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing you could say is our our ability for reason and logic. Um, you see, you see micro logics and micro reasonings and like ravens when they're trying to get to food, but you never see complex mental. You know, they don't plan reasoning. out the day and yeah, yeah, in animals. And so the only other creature in the universe we know, or not creature, but the only other thing in the universe we know is God, who does that. He's a reasoning, logical. Um, God who has a mind. Um, 
you have a sense of self. That's something that animals don't really have. When they look in the mirror, most animals don't know themselves and know that that's their, they think it's another animal that they're fighting against. And humans uh, develop that very early on. Um, So, and then dominion over this creation. And animals don't have dominion over it. They're um, a part of the creation the same way we are, but we have uh, God's call to be in dominion over this this earth that's yeah. been there since the very beginning. Yeah. Um, Another aspect of man that I think of is the uh, creative ability mm, uh, that God has given to man, again, as a reflection of who he is and mm. how he's designed the world and designed human beings, every part of us. Yeah. Um, and he gives us the opportunity to design and to mm-hmm. um, engineer as a as a former engineer sure. uh things of, of this world which I is think of art being an expression of that too it's yeah. a, it, there's something about that's drawn it's on a a canvas of art that's not simply mechanics there's something soulful about it or yeah. something from within that that is creative and expressive that yeah. on a paper and and is a is a a piece of beauty mm-hmm. um and uh so we recognize that. So we recognize that we're different from animals. Um, and so we come back uh, to the question in verse 22. Um, so what is it that we should enjoy? Uh, what has God given us that we should enjoy? Um, he said in verse 22, I, I, I saw that there's nothing better for man than to enjoy his work uh, because it is his lot. And we've talked before about how work can be meaningless, <clears throat> if that's all we do, if that's our total for- focus, if that's um, if that's what we try to find our ultimate satisfaction and pleasure in, um, but God wants us to be able to enjoy what we do, whether it's a a piece of uh, art or a, a, a good day's work. Uh, God wants us to enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, this t- breaks brings me back to a discussion we've had in the past, not on this particular. A series of podcasts, but on others related to um, vocation. Do you remember we've had mm-hmm. discussions on vocation? And vocation is simply a word that comes from the uh, the biblical term calling. Um, we all talk about how we have <clears throat> certain callings in our life. Um, so I don't know how many people actually think that way when they, you know, hit their alarm clock, you know, and snooze once and twice and three times and then finally get out of bed. But we all have this innate calling within us that's uh, God has given us skills and abilities and expects us to put them to good use. And it's not just our work. Our vocation is often thought of, you know, vocational training means being prepared for a career or a job. It's bigger than just our job. It's also the the jobs or the callings that we have in other areas of our life, like our families. We're in society at large. I think when we last talked about it, we were in our Two Realms uh, podcast, we were talking about the intersection between Christians and society, and um, that's a big, big discussion around vocation that we had there. But uh, you get the sense that that the the teacher here is touching on the the topic or the doctrine of vocation before it's actually been developed at all. He realizes that even within toil and labor and work, when you get to the end of a hard day and your back hurts, your heart feels good. Yeah, your mind feels fulfilled. You feel like you've accomplished something. Yeah. You know, when you work really hard as a student on a test and you you uh, sit down and you take the test and you just nail it, there's some sense of satisfaction. Satisfaction. You yeah. get you get a dopamine rush from that and you're like, that yeah. was that was good. I did good there. Yeah. Um and that's simply 
a, a bit of, I think the author would say, divine calling or purpose or vocation that gives some um, lasting significance, to use the phrase you've used before about this, it gives some lasting significance to our lives, but it's not a permanent significant. It's something that extends the significance of our day-to-day life, but you can't find your sole purpose in it. Yeah. And he's already established that when he talked about. Yeah. As you were talking about vocation, uh, you mentioned um, one of the things that I often think of is our vocations are often reflective of the relationships that we have. Sure. Uh, so husband and wife, parents and children, um, uh, the vocation of being a neighbor yep. uh, to those who live next to us or um, um, uh, you know, the um, vocation of being a part of a community, whether it's a church community or another group of people. Um, that also reflects our our vocation and calling in life. And and I don't ever want to discount discount the importance of the employee employer employer relationship either. Yeah. That's a relationship Absolutely. that's included in vocation. I think sometimes as Lutherans, when we talk vocation, our mind immediately goes to everything but our actual work, and we kind of think, oh, my vocation is to be a dad, my vocation is to be a husband, my vocation is to be a churchman, a, a lay person, a good citizen, but. Your your vocation is also to to sit sit at your desk and do your work that you've been given to do and do it with joy in your heart, um, and so that's an important part too. Yeah, and so um, God wants us to enjoy that. He tells us that we're we're dust, and there's there's kind of a strange thought here that says even though we are dust, uh, does God give us some good news about our humanity? Uh, our the humanity of dust that we are. Mm. Um, and um, I guess my thought goes back to um, when God was talking to Abraham and he, he said, you know, as not only as numerous as the scar- stars are in the sky will be the number of your descendants, but he also said your descendants will be as many as the dust mm. uh, of the earth. Yeah. And so there was a, 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 an idea of dust being something that can be something that's great and grand. Yeah. Um, and, and so we see that, that Abraham um, was one through whom God worked to bring his blessing uh, to not only his descendants, but uh, people all over the world. Um, even though we are frail as dust. Yeah. You get the, you get the idea that from chapter 18, or sorry, verse 18, you could almost turn this into kind of a materialistic, almost atheistic, meaning God's not necessary to describe this part here, uh, that that we are like the animals. Mm-hmm. We're all just biological cells that die, and that's the end of us. You know, we could, If you stopped at verse 20, you could say, we all go to the same place, we're all dust, we're all dead, da-da-da. But then you learn quickly that the teacher is not materialist. Yeah. The teacher is not a nihilist. He's not an atheist. He's not a guy who's saying, so what the, What is it all about? If we're all just going to end up in the ground anyways, what does anything ever matter? That's There are people who think a lot like that mm-hmm. today. Um, and that's a false worldview. Right. The teacher is not to that level. He's confronting the reality that those presuppositions have turned into a... Uh, a viewpoint on the world. He's confronting the reality of that while also maintaining the the truth that there's something bigger than just the dust that we return to. And that's where verse 21 becomes so important. 
because he starts speaking of the spirit. Mm-hmm. There's something within us that's not d- dust. And so even though dust is an important part of what we are, it's an important part of the reality of what our our destiny here on this earth is, it's not the ultimately most important thing. The The most important thing is this eternal aspect, this spiritual nature of man that goes on forever. Yeah, and we find that that uh, God is willing to redeem this dust and spirit that he's given us, uh, our body and our, our soul. Um, and we're also reminded at the end of time uh, that we have, uh, that we'll get a new yeah. dust body and, and, and a new soul. And the teacher, or, the teacher really didn't have the, the promise of the resurrection to depend on. He probably assumed that God had plans that would restore something about himself, but he probably never had anything near as grand in his mind as a body resurrected from dust, made perfect for all eternity, to rejoin that spirit which is eternal. And so that's the the overwhelming joy of the resurrection is it goes even beyond what someone as wise as the teacher could could suppose. Yeah. And so that brings us to the end of chapter three. And um um before we begin chapter four, let's go ahead and read through it and see where else the teacher leads us. Okay. And we'll read the whole thing. So we'll read all 16 verses. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they had no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all labor and all achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king, who no longer knows how to take warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Okay. Uh, so we again, the teacher talks about uh, the oppressed as we look in the opening verses of chapter 4. Uh, he says that they have no comforter and that the power is on the side of the oppressors. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
what do we think about, how are we to think about this? Um, again, we see oppression um, and um, I guess in chapter 3, verse 16, we had just talked about uh, the fact that there is injustice and we long for God's justice and, and just work. Um, but again, we have examples of oppression and, um, and we see it all around us. Um, and yet there's this, this underlying subtext that you get, you get the impression that maybe it's a good thing to oppress because then you get the benefits of taking away from those who are, who are oppressed that you're oppressing. But then no, that doesn't meet out either because everyone ends up in the dust. So being oppressed gives no meaning or purpose. Neither does oppressing others give any meaning or purpose, except it gives a, a negative thing because God will be just in the end against those who have oppressed. So we, we don't have to look very hard and we see oppression all around us. We, we think the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Um, you know, I think of people today, um, you know, we feel, we feel for those who, um, may have lost their job in the midst of the COVID virus. Um, uh, we, we recognize the struggles that, that restaurants have had, um, to get people into the restaurants. Um, um, we, uh, we recognize that there are some people that as they live in their home, um, um, they can't pay their landlords. And so both individuals and landlords suffer, um, um, and so we see this hardship and oppression all around us. It doesn't take much to see it going on. And um, I think even even Christians recognizing this oppression, I, I think of Paul who longed to go to heaven. Um, he said, you know, I'd rather be in heaven than to continue here on earth because he recognized the, the, the hardship and the suffering and um, uh, the struggles that go on in this world. And... Um, so we, we recognize that those things are, are all around us, but again, in the midst of, uh, of this injustice, um, there's some good news for God's people because we recognize that God um, will still give justice. Um, um, you know, we, we recognize that God, um, uh, he, he cares for those who suffer. His, his heart aches with those who ache. Um, and probably a good example of that is, you know, I think back to the story of the Exodus, uh, when those, when the Israelites were hard pressed and, and when their labor, uh, was severe, um, and they cried out to God, scripture tells us that God heard their cries, uh, and he, and he answered. And so, um, uh, while we see injustice and hardship, uh, we also know that God hears the cries of those who are in need. Yeah. It's a pretty uh, depressing discussion in uh, in verse two and three, where it says that uh, those who are dead have it better than those who are alive. But not just that; those who aren't around yet have it best. It's like it's best. It's best. The best expression of humanity is never having been born at all. Yeah. Ugh. That doesn't speak that highly of of what it means to be human. Right. Um. So you, yeah, that's pretty pretty hard teaching there. And, and so, you know, and, and God warned Adam and Eve when sin came into the world, he said, this is what, what life is going to be like. He's, yeah. you know, there was a curse that was given and, and work was going to be difficult. Uh, bearing children was going to be difficult. Um, uh, life was going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet even, 
even at that time when God said, this is what you brought into the world, uh, he said, I'm going to send one of one of your own seed uh, will crush the head of the enemy. Mm. And, and, and so even there, God was giving us a, a, a word of hope, a, a glimmer of good news that was, we talk about that being the first gospel message that, uh, that was ever proclaimed. And, um, and, and God wants us to be aware of that, that there, that there is an ultimate hope, even in the midst of, uh, all of the hardship that we see all around us. Um, and, you know, we look at, um, and we look at the life of Christ, and we recognize that that Jesus also identified himself with the poor. Mm-hmm. He identified himself with the lonely. Um, he uh, identified himself with those who are oppressed. And um, we not not only find that he identifies himself with them, but he even suffers for them yeah. um, as he gives his life uh, for them. And 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 for that reason we have um again we have the gospel message that gives us hope when he stands Uh, up in the synagogue and reads the scroll of isaiah he says uh that essentially that's his purpose he says that uh that scripture is fulfilled in his reading of it and our hearing of it that uh his presence in our midst is what this the cure to those ailments of oppression and poverty and those in prison and and those who are in prison and, and those who are uh, oppressed that's that's his solution yeah so um other things that scripture tells us about the righteousness of god and his vindication uh, of the oppressed um we know that god is a is a righteous god um uh, he does wrong those things that are right sometimes we don't always see it in this world though yeah. um sometimes that becomes the the frustrating thing is we want sometimes we want things to be vindicated in our time frame and in our way, and that doesn't always happen. Um, God has a bigger picture of the world and of what's going on in people's lives, and um, and He works through that. And we we thank Him that He does. Otherwise, we would all be condemned. Um, but God does show righteousness, and um, and we know that He is faithful and just. And and because of His faithfulness, that gives us a. Um, a way to live. Mm. Uh, uh, it shows us how to live as his people. And this question asks, um, how does this, what does the scripture tell us about his righteousness and the vindication of the oppressed? And my immediate mind went to, well, who's not oppressed? Yeah. There, are, there are those who are certainly very oppressed in this life, and there's those who are oppressors in this life, but who's the ultimate oppressor? Satan. Yeah. And we are all being oppressed by him all the time. And so we need a righteous God who can vindicate us, not simply from the oppression of our fellow brothers on this earth who oppress us, but we need someone to deliver us from the actual source of all of the ailment around us, and that's yeah. Satan and, yeah. and sin. Yeah. And um, and we praise the Lord for, for his work, uh, you know, I think of Luther's morning and evening prayers as he, he um, uh, you know, may your holy angels be with us that the wicked foe may have no power over us. Um, he, he wants us to recognize that uh, Satan is alive and well, and he's seeking to destroy uh, human beings and as, as he oppresses us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, his ultimate purpose is to destroy us and to take us away from God. 
Um, but God wants us to recognize his, uh, his strong presence in our life and um, not only to pray for ourselves, but to pray for our brothers and sisters and, and uh, uh, as God watches over them as well. Um, then on, uh, in verses four through six, it talks about the teacher says that the, uh, the fool can fold his hands and ruin himself, uh, in verse five. And then, uh, he says, uh, and have a handful of tranquility is better than to have two handfuls of toil for that's a chasing after the wind in verse six. And so how does the teacher, he comes back again to this, uh, view of, uh, of work and he's kind of making some distinctions here. Um, so what does it mean to for the fool to fold his hands and ruin himself? I'm going to fold my hands, meaning I'm going to sit here on my couch and I'm going to let the world happen around me. I'm not going to pick up a tool. I'm not going to pick up a pen. I'm not going to do anything with my hands, with my mind, with anything. I'm just going to let life happen to me. That's obviously a foolish thing to do mm-hmm. and will lead to destruction imminently. Okay. Uh, you have the, the other side of the the equation and a guy who opens both hands meaning he's using all of his power all of his time all of his skills all of everything that he has to just attain and grasp and do anything that he can and he toils and he works and all he ends up with is two hands full of toil and then you have the middle ground here which the teacher is saying is the appropriate way to do things it's to use a hand to do the work and have tranquility, okay. meaning not being toiling, neither being insecure from a lack of effort and work. So somewhere down down the middle okay. is where, where we're called to be. Some uh, people work t- diligently but find tranquility. Yeah, sometimes we talk about that as a balanced life, but yeah. there's some contentment in um, in the work that we've done, but also to, to be able to enjoy some of the benefits of that work as yeah. well. Or at least be content in them. The enjoyment, I don't want to sound too, go towards too much because mm-hmm. I think sometimes we can quickly overenjoy the fruits of our labors. Mm-hmm. I think most Americans do that. I'm, yeah. I'm every bit as guilty as the next American with that. Uh, but certainly to be content, I think, is the goal. Yeah. Uh, to work and to do your due diligence in your work, and then to be content with the fruits of the work. And so um, what does the teacher believe wise people should do in terms of their work and toil? We've talked about that, have that sense of tranquility and contentment, um, uh, have a sense of peace, that they enjoy their work, uh, that they recognize it as a gift from God. Um, uh, Those are all good things that God wants us to have and recognize. Um, uh, in verse 12, the, the teacher says, though a man might prevail against one, here he, he starts to talk about um, uh, having relationships with other people. He said, um, though a man might prevail against one other man who is alone, two can withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Okay, and in the, con- so in the context of this um, um, this image, what is... What is the teacher talking about? So these verses are actually very popular for a wedding text. I don't know if yeah. you've ever had weddings where people have chosen this before. This was actually actually in my wedding text. Okay. And I I kind of knew that oftentimes it was used and abused. So I actually had them do the entire chapter four so that we could get the context like we've been doing today of these verses uh, for the people who were in our wedding. 
Um, oftentimes these verses are used to say, oh, a three, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. It's very clear that's marriage, right? You got the man and the woman and God, and they're the three cords, and they're very strong. But really this is more of a discussion about relationships in general and the the human need for social interaction and engagement with other people. Uh, you know this because of the context from verse 8, the man who was alone uh, had no son or brother, worked hard for everything under the sun and got to the end. And it's not, and, and this is the, the interesting thing. The teacher has a normal phrase saying this too is meaningless, but then he even goes further than that and intensifies this and says, this is an absolutely miserable business. It's not just meaningless and, and purposelessness and it like vapors away like a cloud. This is actually just pure misery to not have somebody there to be in your life. And so he's confronting this idea of, of friendlessness or lack of relationships. And he's saying of all of the fates which could be destined to a person, this one is the worst one. I'm actually listening on on uh, audio book right now to The Martian. Have you ever read that book or seen the movie? Not. So it's about this guy who gets stranded on Mars. It's in the future a little bit, but he's left behind on a mission. And he has to contend with all of these different things. He has to raise food so that he can survive. He has to get water. Everything is trying to kill him. He's on a foreign, you know, distant planet all by himself. Uh, with just the resources left from his mission. He's trying to survive. It's kind of a, uh, a survival novel as much as anything. But the hardest thing for him by far is the loneliness. Like he's he's handling all the physical things. And it's not fun, but he's doing it. He's problem solving. He's getting through the problems. But not having anyone around, like that's the worst part. Of all the needs of, of man, uh, the most imminent ones are physical needs, but the most powerful ones are the social and emotional needs relational relational needs yeah so it's just uh, an interesting parallel that yeah. i'm i'm enduring right now oh. <laughs> the idea of the importance of relationship and so when we get to uh when we get to these uh verses in 9 through 12 and we hear about uh two are better than one and we hear about two lying down together i think that's why a lot of people think it's marriage cuz husband and wife lay down together, but uh, two being uh, able to overcome and defend another one. Um, is he simply using examples from people's everyday lives that they know and understand well to prove why the power of two is greater than just the sum of the two parts of the relationship? There's a, an exponential improvement in life when we find ourselves in relationship and that doesn't just happen with two people. Three people are better than the sum of three individual parts. Um, I think the the uh, cord of three strands uh, is used not necessarily because it's trying to show husband and wife and God. Instead, it's trying to show a very practical, pragmatic, quite literally, if you go pick up a rope and you want it to be a strong rope, it's going to be a braided cord with three braids. You can't braid two chords together. And if you have four chords, all the better. Like if you have five, all the better. Um, but you need to have at least three for it to be a good, strong chord. And so uh, it's an idea that uh, the chord of three strands braided together will be stronger than if you have three strings 
just by themselves and you're pulling on them. There's a cumulative effect to relationship that improves life all the better. Okay. That seems to say something about community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we look around the world and we, for the most part, don't see people just isolated Self. by themselves. Um, uh, the, the smallest community, we could say, is a family. Mm -hmm. um, but there are, as families get together, um, there might be a village or, or a town. Um, and as many of those families get together, we see cities and and um, see the advances that can take place because people are working together. And, and our society, <clears throat> on one hand, is very much constructed around the rights of the individual. It's a very Western philosophical thing. Um, the individual has benefit and rights. And but but on the same by the same token, our society, just because of the nature of humanity, is very dependent on community as well. I mean, we can't operate truly as individuals in any facet of life. Um, when we do, it causes all kinds of problems for us and, and others. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so it, it, there's a fine balance in our life, in, in the West especially, uh, about up, upholding and maintaining the rights of individuals, but also showcasing how the need for the respect of the community. That's why when we see individuals' rights elevated over the benefit of the community, it's very often damaging when we think of, um, you know, divorce being such a big problem because it divides communities. That's what it's for. Uh, divorce for the, for the benefit of the rights of the individual divides the base community structure of society, which is the family. Uh, and so the community is very important. And, and you see oftentimes in Eastern cultures, they choose... I think sometimes even to the detriment, the benefit of the society yeah. and the group over the individual. And so people often get oppressed and persecuted and their rights are abused. Um, and that's not good. I'm not saying that's good. Uh, but they, they need to strike a better balance between the individual and the community. I think somewhere in that, in that middle ground is where we find the best expression of how to exist in a society. Respect for the human being but also respect for the community. Mm -hmm. I think Christianity thrives in that, right? We have a yeah. personal uh, stake in Christ for our salvation, but ne neither are we called uh, by God to exist in a vacuum. We're called to exist in community yeah. and relationship. We see that perfect example of, of uh, oneness and community within the Godhead itself. Trinity. Um, and um, they're co-equal, co-eternal. Um, one isn't over another, but they, they each, uh, each person, <laughs> and it's uh, a mystery on the one hand, God is one, but we see three persons as one Godhead and, and they're all um, equal and, and supportive of each other. Yep. And, and, and that you mentioned, that's the blessing of, um, community is also the blessing of a congregation. A congregation is, uh, uh, God's community yep. where, um, we see the love, God's love for the individual and God's love for, um, the community, the congregation that's there as well. And, um, yeah, to strike that balance can be, can be a challenge, but that's the greatest blessing. Definitely. Yeah. And um, and so um, so what does God teach us about he, he, uh, about community? You mentioned four things there in those verses seven through twelve. Um, 
we talked about community gives us a, a, a good return for the work that people do together. Uh, community uh, can help each other in the time of need. Uh, community offers warmth and encouragement to each other. Uh, community also, also offers a, a safety and defense that where they can take care of one another. Yep. And um, all of those blessings grow out of the, uh, the community that um, God established us to be a part of and to live in. Mm -hmm. And so um, any other ways that God offers us grace in, in community? Um, um, I think one in the church we hear certainly is the, the uh, confession. Um, there's such a thing as private confession, which I think Lutherans undervalue sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters, they sometimes overemphasize private confession. Once again, I think the balance is sometimes best struck when you find a, a middle ground where we respect the individual, but also uh, respect the community. And so we do uh, we do private confession, but when's the last time you had a private confession from somebody? It's been probably a long time. Uh, but we also do corporate confession together as the body of, of Christ on Sunday mornings. We do that every week in every service because it's such an important and vital aspect to what it means to be part of the community of faith in Christ. And so we have in the church a great expression, I think, of the community being a of benefit to uh, to each individual because in communicating together our sin before Christ and Christ imputing his forgiveness upon the individuals confessing but also upon the community of believers that are gathered there, and then extending that through the bread and the wine in the in the Lord's Supper, uh, beautiful. It's a beautiful expression. Mm -hmm. The absolution spoken by the the pastor who's standing in the place of Christ as he forgives the sins of the people. It's a pretty powerful thing. Yeah. And um, I again, I think of the the loneliness of the one person, and and yet um, God didn't create us to be in isolation. He created us to be in community. Um, uh, we recognize that Christ identified with those who were uh, uh, alone and lonely. Uh, in fact, he experienced uh, a loneliness um, a number of times in his own life. Um, uh, I think one example is when he was out in the wilderness and then tempted by Satan. Another example is when he was on the cross. Yeah. Um, and... Um, and I feel like Jesus had a loneliness his whole life because on on the one hand he's human like the rest of us but on the other hand he's the only person who's ever lived who knew the exact way he would die who knew exactly what his mission was and who he was that he was divine and he on on the one hand he could relate with everybody but on the other hand no one could relate to him and there must have been a pretty profound loneliness for him in that respect, his whole life. Yeah, and and there were times where he would go out and and pray and talk to God, his Father, and um, recognize he wasn't alone. But on the on the cross, there was a moment when he said, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Yeah. And there, Jesus was all alone, and and he experienced that that loneliness and that forsakenness so that we wouldn't have to. Mm -hmm. And um and and that's why he said, "I will never leave you nor forsake you." Mm -hmm. And so we have that. We have that promise of Christ um, uh, in those times of loneliness. He said, I will be with you always. Yeah. And um, 
that's one of those promises that we can carry with us at all times. And um, even in the loneliest of times, he reminds us that, that he's there. And uh, uh, what a blessing that becomes. That, that brings us to the, the end of chapter four. Hmm. And um, again, it's, it's hard to get through this book without uh, <laughs> recognizing Christ's presence, uh, even though it's not uh, always as obvious. But uh, um, It just shows how wise the, the teacher here really is. He's mm-hmm. making all of these, these open-ended things that we can grasp to and point to Christ, but he didn't know the specifics of Christ's coming. Like when it says the comforter, there's no comforter, right? There's no comforter for the oppressed. There's no comforter for the poverty-stricken, for those who are made low here on the earth, those who have no purpose and no meaning. And it's like for the rest of us, our 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 sensors are going beep beep. Yeah. Jesus, come yeah. on! Yeah, Holy Spirit is our this? comforter. Yeah, yeah well, Holy yeah. Spirit is literally sent as a comforter. Right? God is the one who comforts, and he's he's making this this directed solution to all of the problems of Hevel, of meaninglessness. And he doesn't have the specific answer, but he knows generally what it's going to look like. And it fits Jesus like a glove, right? Mm -hmm. It fits God's salvation plan that he delivers through Christ exactly the way he intended it to. Yeah. And, uh, and so God continues to give us hope in the midst of the meaningless that we try and grab for here in the world. And, and and yet God is always inviting, encouraging us to to turn to Him, to come to Him, um, to give us rest, to give us strength, to bring us into community, to give us what we need, so that we can have life in all of its fullness. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the joy of the Christian life. And um, and we thank the Lord for that. Um, any um, as we come to an end, are there um, uh, anything that we need to share with our folks? I'm I'm thinking we have our um, our fall festival coming up, coming up yeah. uh, a week from Sunday, which will be the 12th of September. This this next weekend, too, we've got a couple of new things coming in. We've Since we've had our rally day this, this past Sunday on September uh, 5th, this coming Sunday, we're going to be getting several of our, our new offerings for our Bible study hour at 9.30. And it, and it, well, very soon it will be at 10.45 as well. Uh, so if you are interested in uh, engaging in in God's Word in some way outside of just the simple uh, Sunday morning worship service, which I certainly would encourage you to participate in also, that's a great way to participate. Mm-hmm. So we've got Bible 101, that's, which you're going to be leading. I'll be leading, and just to give a big overview of the Bible and and um, kind of the uh, the 10,000 view perspective as we fly over the Bible. and Yep, and then I'm going to be uh, co-teaching with several people a class on uh, what, on faith-based parenting, essentially, is what it is. So we're excited to get that started. So if you or somebody that you know is interested in any of those uh, classes, we'll invite you to attend on Sunday, or you can contact the church office if you have questions about those. Yeah, there are other Bible study groups that are meeting, so if you have a, a, a desire to be a part of a community uh, and you want to know more of the Bible studies that... Um, uh, will be taught, please give us a call here at the Community, church. what a novel concept. We're yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, so anything else before we close? Otherwise, we can so. close with a prayer if you'd bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, for your presence in our life. And again, as we look at this world without you, it is all meaningless. It's all a chasing after the wind. And yet, by your grace, you step into this world, um, not just to remind us who we are, but uh, you had your son step into this world to remind us how much you love us and how significant we are. 
um, to the point where he gave his life. He, he called us to follow him. He taught us how to live. He still teaches us how to live. He uh, gave his life for us to redeem us and then sent, um, you sent your Holy Spirit into our lives uh, as a deposit to guarantee this hope that is to come. And for that, we thank and praise you. We ask for your blessing as we go through this day that uh, we would live as your people, that we would still follow our Savior Jesus each and every day. Help us to see where you are at work so that we can join you in that work and um, recognize the significance that you've given us in life as we love and serve those around us. So keep us safe this day. Help us to keep our eyes on you always. And so we thank and we praise you all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 So thanks for being with us. Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can catch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.